The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. It is a great mystery that we celebrate today, for we celebrate in celebrating all the saints the mysterious reality, the mysterious beauty of holiness claiming human life. And that is a remarkable thing indeed. And we celebrate today, curiously enough, as opposed to how we commonly think, not the exception, but the rule. We grow up thinking the saints are exceptional. They're not. They're the rule. That is the standard. The mediocrity with which we mark our days is the exception. What we celebrate today is the rule. And it is important that we begin with that. Man was not created for sin. Man was not created for selfishness. Man was not created for self-indulgence. All of these things that we say are natural are not. They're what we've fallen into. What is natural is something very different. Man was created in the image and after the likeness of God. And note what we celebrate today this likeness to the Lord, 
this glorious fullness of life, which is the truth of human nature, not the exception to it. How easily we forget that. We mistake this fallen world for being the true world, and yet it is not. We were never intended for this, but for glory. And as we hear in our scriptures today, even if we are tempted to consider the holiness of the saints an exceptional thing, the exception is much more common than we are often ready to admit. That marvelous vision in the book of Revelation. Hundreds of thousands followed by a great multitude that is impossible to count or to number. From every tribe, every culture, every nation, every language of the globe. That's quite a generous exception. No culture not represented. No language not represented. No state of life not represented. How remarkable this is that holiness, the holiness of Jesus Christ, claims all and draws all to itself. This is what we celebrate today in celebrating the great number of the saints in its beautiful, impossible-to-number totality. The human mind can't begin to learn all of those names. The human memory can't remember all of those faces. And yet what one sees in looking at this impossible number shining in glory is the beauty of that glorious holiness that shines forth. And how is such a thing possible? Note what we hear in the first reading, that when that great number is present in its white robes, holding the palm branches that represent victory, gathered before the throne of God himself, they speak and heaven itself shakes. And there's his not the song that the angels sing afterwards, which is sung in response to what they proclaim, but the witness, the uniform witness of all the saints, the great number beyond counting that speaks with a single voice and witnesses to one single thing. Salvation is from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. This is the essential witness of all the saints. Salvation is found from no other source than our God who sits on the throne, that one Lord who is truly Lord over all creation, that one Lord enthroned above heaven and above earth, to whom all are accountable, whose rule admits no exceptions. 
and the Lamb. That one who was slain for us and for our salvation and rose triumphant from the dead. Note how different it sounds when we put it that way. These statements that we take for granted. How often in our churches do we say something similar, but it lacks that power. It lacks that beauty. It lacks that definiteness. Salvation is from our God who sits on the throne, and we nod our heads. We shrug our shoulders and get on with our lives. Salvation is from the Lamb, and we nod our heads, and we say, yes, I believe, and yet we seek our consolation elsewhere. But not these. Not these that triumphant call that they raised before the throne of God himself in heaven, witnessing even to the angels, is how they live their lives. Lives founded on that truth. Lives that live and witness every single day to that truth. Salvation is from our God who sits on the throne. He does, in fact, rule, and he is the one source of life and salvation. And from the Lamb who was, in fact, slain, whose blood has washed me clean, whose spirit has claimed me, and who has called me to follow him. What a remarkable witness that is. Not an uncommon witness we hear in the scriptures because the number of those who live this way we see is beyond counting. And as we hear that and as we engage that, it's important to recognize that perhaps we sometimes make ourselves a little too comfortable from the outsider's perspective looking in. But we don't celebrate this day because we get to be the outsiders looking in. We celebrate this day because we long to be with them. Because we want to unite our voices with theirs in that same full-throated statement of the truth. Because we want to found our lives on that same rock that same glorious truth, that same conviction, which is not merely a statement I learned in catechism class, not merely something I nod my head to, but something that begins to claim my life. And so it is then that we respond to that first reading with those marvelous words from the book of Psalms. Who is the one who will climb the mountain of the Lord. And note the image, because climbing a mountain means rising above the common level of the earth. Who is that one who will do it? Who will climb not the mountain of self-indulgence, who will climb not the mountain of ambition, who will not descend and wallow in the swamp of pride. Who is the one who will climb the mountain where the Lord dwells. And note how simple 
and yet how difficult the answer is. The one whose hands are clean, whose heart is pure, and who, desi who de desires not worthless things. And if we take those words seriously, we might find ourselves saying, well, I guess it's not me. Because our hands all too easily reach out to and cling to and hold within them that which is not clean and that which cannot preserve us clean. Our hearts are often divided, desiring goodness and yet still longing for that which isn't good. And our eyes and our will so easily and so readily look not to the top of that mountain where the Lord dwells and where we desire to go, but at all of the distractions that meet us along the way. Who is that great multitude? It is the multitude of those whose hands are clean, whose hearts are pure, and whose desire was centered not on what is worthless and has no value, but upon that which has real value. Again, note how simply beautiful that is and how beautifully simple that is, and yet how difficult it seems to orient our lives in this way. And so this is why our readings continue and they offer us a remarkable catechism as we flow through them. Because at this point, then, we hear from the Apostle John reminding us of who we really are. We will not be God's children in the future. That's who we are, in fact, right now. And again, how easy it is to forget that. I'm the child of my culture. I'm the child of my race. I'm the child of my nation. I'm the child of the dysfunction in my family. You are God's children right now. And note the implication that this is a gift, a grace, a blessing given to us in holy baptism. And it is a grace we can grow into, a gift we can live into. And as we do so, we know that we will be changed and we will move toward the top of that mountain where God himself dwells. And how beautiful it is that the apostle writes, and when we get there, we don't know exactly what we'll be like. But we do know this. We'll be like him. That is what we are made for. And what will make us like him? We will see him as he is. And in truly seeing him, we will become like the one we see. 
how wonderful that is. The more we can see the Lord, the more we can become like the Lord. But note how the scriptures insists none of this is unnatural for man. It is what we are made for. What is unnatural is our clinging to all of those things that prevent us from moving forward. And so now we who have heard about climbing the mountain of the Lord are confronted in our gospel with Jesus seated on the mountain. Note how marvelous that is. The Lord on his mountain and his disciples who have climbed up around him and on the top of that mountain, he speaks to them. And what does he do? He tells them what the life of the mountaintop consists of. And note, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for holiness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And in speaking that way, the Lord is explaining to us that the blessedness of which the psalm speaks for the one of clean hands and pure heart who desires not worthless things, the blessedness that brings to glory those saints before the throne of God who are like him because they see him, springs from a very particular source. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers and the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And note how the Lord speaks very directly to the human heart about what purity of heart, what goodness of heart, what cleanness of hands, what desire for what is truly good consists of. It consists of these things. And that word blessed implies everlasting happiness, everlasting goodness. This is why when we beatify someone, we name them blessed, because these are the characteristics that mark that life. But the Lord then, in speaking that way, does something really important at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. After naming the Beatitudes, the blessedness that brings one to heaven, he turns and he speaks now directly and personally to all of those who have heard those words, lest they think he's talking about somebody else. Because that's easy to do. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Wow, those guys are lucky. Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, but I really don't want to do that. Blessed are the peacemaker. Yeah, those guys will do it really well. Notice how easy it is when we speak in a general category to apply that to somebody else. And so then the Lord looks at all of those who are on the mountaintop with him. And he says, and you, blessed are you. Note how different that is. Not blessed are they. Not blessed is that one who. Now the Lord says, and you, personally, you who are listening right now to me. Blessed are you when you experience difficulty, and hatred, rejection, and persecution for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. You, in that experience, rejoice and be glad because the reward is yours too. What a powerfully direct statement that is. And in speaking that way, Jesus is not saying, when life is terrible for you, clap your hands and do the happy dance. What the Lord is saying is, when the world reacts to you because your goodness and your faithfulness to me has made it uncomfortable, and you continue, then you know you are that one who is climbing the mountain of the Lord. That is the secret to being the one of clean hands and pure heart, who desires not worthless things. That one who will walk through this world but not be mastered by it. That one who can live in this world in the freedom of the children of God that one whose heart, day by day, turns itself more fully to the Lord and his ways. That is that one indeed who is blessed. These are those whom we celebrate today in great number. Many of them anonymous to us, hidden from us, but whose holiness was visible to the eye of God that sees all things. This is what we celebrate today, that great number, not of the exception, that great number whose very multitude reminds us this is the rule. This is a way accessible to all of us. And in celebrating them, we remind ourselves of what we are called to be, who we are called to be too. It doesn't mean in hearing these things and reflecting on these things we become saints tomorrow. But it does remind us that the way is marked out and many have walked it. And that great number in heaven longs for us to be with them and prays for us on this day. That we may lift one day our voices alongside of theirs in that marvelous, marvelous hymn of glory. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. 
And that song that they sing is the life that they lived. Would that we could learn to do the same. Amen.